We're back with part two of our interview with the founder of Pattern Brands, Nick Leng. If you missed part one, I highly suggest giving it a listen. It's really strong. Part two is me and Nick talking about the details of acquiring their first customers, managing at Pattern, and some of the things he's learned in this transition to creating Pattern Brands. Let's dive in. You've done a phenomenal job with Pattern Brands, I think, in terms of the story. Like, Let's talk for a few minutes about just the mechanics of your guys' launch, because I've actually been um, talking about it with... Um, with some of our customers who are working on a launch yeah. and you've been a part of a bunch of different launches yeah. and I think you guys knocked it out of the park. And so maybe just in congratulations Thank on that, you. tell us about just what you did for the launch and some of the thinking behind it. Just continuing our story, right? Yeah. So we were running gin lane. Um, we started to be in a place where chip on your shoulder. Yeah. But like <laughs> also like we were doing this stuff that we'd done 50 times again and again. Yeah. And we were, I think we we're just searching for more is like the most simple way I can think about it. And, you know, me and my team at Lane, a lot of us are going through the, uh, the next stage of our life, which is saying, how do we want to live when we have kids? How do we want to live once we have a significant other, right? And t- to be honest, when we started talking about that, it was definitely not this always on lifestyle that met, we had each felt in different ways. Um, for me, just personally, that always on lifestyle reflected in like my Gmail following me everywhere, right? That anyone could reasonably contact me any hour of the day and demand a response. Mm-hmm. And when you're in a service business, that can become very overwhelming very quickly. Um, and I went through periods of burnout where that I felt just completely overwhelmed by work and not being able to step back from it. Um, other members of our team talked about like social media and like the pressures of like always looking at Instagram and like trying to get likes on posts and tons of stuff like that. Other people, you know, had like, other members of our team had removed all apps on their iPhone because they were just like so like addicted to clicking on them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the sense of like wanting to explore something new, go up a new S-curve personally, along with this feeling of burnout that we were starting to feel started to drive towards this articulation of what Pattern Brands was. Um, and we also had this unique thing that I think we're like good at making things cool. So we were like, how can we use our skill that we're born on earth with, which is making things relevant and cool, mm-hmm. with something that we're really feeling ourselves with a movement on from Gin Lane. Um, and we had to manage this transition of continuing to run the agency while launching a new business, which was a challenge because I can tell you that it's very difficult managing the competing priorities of keeping clients happy with launching your own big thing that you're really excited about. Um, And over the course of a year, we developed pattern. It came much more wind tunneled into this idea of quality time. And then we developed equal parts as well, which is the cooking brand we're launching. and you know what's great about Pattern? We were able to see our launch of Pattern when we got there in July of this year. We really saw it as the start of a movement. And the one thing we really wanted to do was get our message out there in a very clear way. Um, and to make sure anyone who interacts with our message would both understand it and start to feel it. Right? So. Um, one of the ways 
we got our message out there in a clear way was by writing a medium post very early on on why we were doing pattern um, you know when you talk to reporters about launching your company they so much want to get to like the function of what is your company rather than why do you decide to build it but in my mind what people are, are as interested in is like the why behind this and so we wrote this medium article to be like the um, kind of like our own version of the perfect story we wish would be written about pattern I encourage anyone who launches anything to do that first before you talk to anyone else because it again gives you like the real clarity of then how you want to go and work with other people and it allowed us to as we went to talk to press as we were developing our website our social media to be much more clear about the role of each of those and what the message each place had to say so examples of that is we would send our medium post to press before we would meet with them because we really wanted them to come in the room with us and understand the why they were talking to us mm -hmm. versus you know, them just writing a story of our own agencies becoming a brand. Mm -hmm. When we look back on the launch, that's the thing I'm most excited about, that I just get emails out of the blue talking about how this idea of burnout and quality time resonates with people and personal stories about that. And, um, you know, we had other ways that we managed to articulate that, right? So our social media account only is uh, only posts between two and four on Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. So we're, that's an example of how we're trying to live by our values of being intentional with social media, mm -hmm. right? Um, we, um, we measure the success of our social media not by likes, but by saves, because we're interested in how people deeply engage with something mm -hmm. rather than how they like channel flick, mm -hmm. right? So, and we, we've, it's also been interesting seeing those messages have like latched on to people as ways that we're living by our brand completely. Um, we spent a lot, a lot, a lot of time thinking about the choreographed movement over the period of three months of how we wanted to introduce this slowly to the world. Um, I think one of the biggest challenges of launching a brand is that you feel you really know it, but for everyone else, it's a whole load of brand new information. And so you just have to keep on reinforcing it and drip feeding it through different ways and mediums over time for people to understand what you're trying to say because generally we put out an overwhelming amount of stuff for people to take in. I mean, there's a whole, I mean, there's, there's so many different things I want to talk about here in terms of just this journey that you're now on because it's really fascinating that the, the, the precision and expertise around brand building that you're coming to the process with, which is so essential, is um, it's like picture perfect. The, there's this other side of the equation with these businesses, which is the products yeah. and getting the product right. Yeah. What did you do to build a great product? I'm sure that this, obviously you were like cognizant of the role of the quality of the product and that you did thoughtful things in regards to like, let's get this product to be phenomenal or to be just right. What, what, what was that journey like? Yeah, I'll, I'll give you a direct answer just one second. Okay. A company I really like to compare it to is Nike, mm -hmm. right? Because I think what Nike does, it has a really great overall mission of everyone be, being able to be their, the best athlete that they can be, right? But they also just sell a great shoe that people can just love to wear, mm -hmm. right? And, you know, I think with Pattern, 
we have a really strong mission, but we, over the next, hopefully 20 years, we've got to keep on delivering on selling a product to people that they love, mm-hmm. right? And that's, you, could, you have to do both of those to build a really good consumer brand. And so building really great products has been front to center of our minds the entire time we've been through here. Um, so firstly, you know, in going after anything new, it's realizing the capabilities you need to bring in-house to be able to make that happen, mm-hmm. right? So the things we're really great at is understanding consumer sentiment, understanding how this fits into culture, understanding North Star visions, and being able to translate those into actions which go through technology and branding. And what we needed were people who could come on board and translate that vision into the physical product itself. So we, the first hire we made of someone who wasn't an existing person from Gin Lane to Pattern was a VP of physical product who led that process from August last year to our launch of Equal Parts a month ago. Mm-hmm. Um, that was one thing. A second thing was bringing on a few incredible partners who we'd worked with before at Gin Lane who are you know, in, uh, you know, world-class industrial designers. Um, people who have networks of factories all over the world who can help engineer how this product comes to life. Um, um, and we went through a, a long process of product development all the way from concepting, which was very natural to us, to deep engineering of how do you reliably make a product 10,000 times rather than just 100 times. Um, my biggest learning from developing a physical product is that with, with technology and building a website, you can just iterate like this. Like, you see something you want to change, you can put up another landing page and test it. With a physical product, as you're going through iterations of the product development, you realize you want to change something, but then it's a month before you see it. Right when we're used to like seeing something one day later, just of the complexity of like developing products in atoms rather than bytes, right, which are online. And I think learning how to manage that iteration cycle with design, engineering, and manufacturing is was a really cool new experience for us. And one thing I think has made us successful at Gin Lane that translates into that is that we are very focused on how can you run really good underlying processes. Mm-hmm. So I think when you go after a new challenge, you need to find the expertise, but you also need to find the way of working that allows it to happen. And so for us, being very strong in terms of how we project manage, mm-hmm. how we have um, understand risks, how we um, communicate globally, right? How we um, plan for uncertainties was the underpinning we took from our previous world that served us very well in kind of that future product development world. You said something at the very beginning about flow states. Yeah. I don't think of you as a particularly like like Zen guy, but you're 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 getting more into this. You're like you're you're getting into the flow state stuff. <laughs> Is that true in your life? But I, I hear you, Brian, yeah. right? Because I think a lot of people probably feel like me, that there's this version of like, um, 
um, flow state guys, flow state guys <laughs> which is girls. around like meditation, yoga, it's very Eastern methodology, right? Very spiritual, which maybe doesn't feel so resonant to people who are like me, where like I live my life through like actions a lot. And I think what, what I do, what is the commonality between me and you is that while my stuff's more action-based, I do stuff for the sake of it rather than for the end result. And I think a lot of people feel that way who might not be like like your more like Eastern methodology approach to stuff. Well, I, I mean, I think that a lot of people want to feel like that. Yeah. Um, and that they're, when, when someone gets that framework of like, I, I'm doing this for the process, not for the end results, or I'm more interested in my growing than I am in the outcome of yeah. a particular thing, or however you frame it. That's a very liberating kind of... Um, mental shift and in a sense what I'm hearing you say is that the part of the mission with pattern is to make that shift super accessible by making it about like these are just the things that you do that you're going to enjoy doing much more than what you're currently doing which is getting distracted and overwhelmed yeah. accessible is a big word for us yeah I think a lot of stuff around things like flow states yeah. and fulfillment and just feels very aspirational and unapproachable for a lot of people I don't think that anyone understands what... I've, I think very few people understand what a flow state is. Exactly. <laughs> right? Like, um, it's a book which is written that doesn't necessarily make sense. And I think just making it simple, like, just cook two or three times a week and trying to bring it right down to that level and you won't use your phone so much yeah. is, like, how I live my life. And, you know, rewind all the way to childhood where we started, like... Quality time with my family is like one of the things that's most core to me. Mm -hmm. And with the people around me, I form friendships through quality time. Mm -hmm. You know, you talked about when you were 16 at Oxford learning to play snooker, right? That was a quality time activity for you, right? And I think that we just want to help make this idea of rediscovering quality time really, really accessible to people. And make it really action oriented because um, I think when you're in a sense of like burnout and feeling like either like overwhelmed or like compressed it's so difficult when someone just expects you to feel better mm-hmm. right but it's so nice when you start putting routines around it mm-hmm. um, and I personally have found that with cooking and running have been my two big ones where like I'm able to Re-establish time for me or for time for me and other people which have made you know running a company dealing with the stresses and ups and downs way 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 more manageable than maybe where I was when I first started working at, at Gin Lane what have we not talked about that we should talk about I'll, I'll tell you the thing that we are most thinking about with pattern right now yeah and I think in a year from now we need to have you back on to see where you're where things are at because it's like you're now just starting to run an e-commerce business so but what are you thinking about so i'll t- tell you the two things we're thinking yeah. about um one is that we're building this company and you mentioned this to me already with like a mission front and center yeah. right and a thing that we think about a lot is how do we live and breathe that 360 in everything we're doing because the minute we become inauthentic in any angle this whole thing just deflates right so you know it's incredibly hard where like 
we're campaigning against burnout, but we're building a startup. Yeah. Right? The nature of a startup or any small business is that you don't have enough resource to go after the goal you're going after. And people tend to work really hard. And so one big thing we're thinking about is how are we very intentional about our workplace culture so we don't fall in that trap and still be successful. And so that's one big thing we're thinking about is how do we live, continuously live and act by our mission rather than just market by our mission. Mm-hmm. And I think that's you know, part of being a values-driven company is making sure that you're thinking about that at every stage, but realizing you're never gonna be perfect. I just think it puts a lot of pressure on you. Tons of pressure, right? Right, but you can talk about other entrepreneurs. Like, look at like pop culture at the moment we work. I, I think that's fundamentally some stuff got out of whack of how they were a values-driven company mm-hmm. and to where they ended up. And I think there's a, a good solid graveyard of mission-driven companies that have strayed away from what really made them special. That, and you may have talked to some of those entrepreneurs on this podcast and seen how they've reflected about it. Um, so that's one thing we're thinking about um, pretty deeply. The second thing is, and you already mentioned this, right, is it's different launching a company than dealing with the day-to-day operations of e-commerce, right? Iterating on paid marketing, um, customer service, um, shipping, right? The amazing amount of data and feedback that suddenly flows into your organization that can feel overwhelming and we're having to develop new working methodologies to be able to be more iterative, be more lightweight, give teams, small teams, clear goals they can independently go after, mm-hmm. right? Because fundamentally how I would love patterns to operate, and I think we're getting there is that nothing's top down, right? Because as soon as you, every idea has to be top down, you start moving very slowly. If everyone in our companies feels empowered, like an entrepreneur themselves is where we like are really su- successful. And that, that did matter pre-launch, but not quite so much. But now we're in the world of like an infinite amount of data. It's very different. And those functions of customer support and mm-hmm. growth, mm-hmm. ongoing fulfillment, product. And you have more brands coming. Yeah, we have another brand launching early next year. Early next year. Yeah. Exciting. Yeah, it is exciting. This must be very gratifying, this shift. You're really in the zone with it. Yeah, it's good. I. Th- I find it, Brian, I find it hard to pause mm-hmm. around it right now. I'm sure. You're, I mean, you're, 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 you're in the zone with it, but you're also a month into launch. Even at launch, it was, I was just thinking about the next year. Yeah. Right? And I think this will be something that we'll look back on in a couple of years and understand what we're going through, good or bad. Right? And, but living it in the moment, it's hard to like step out of it. How big is your team? We are just around 35 people. And is it a different experience sort of CEOing this than, than with Jin Lane? I mean, it's a very different kind of business. Yes and no. I, I think whenever a business, I, I think startups have to rethink how they operate, how they organize and their norms every six to 12 months. Right. And I think we've just gone through one shift in norms, but we need to go through as big a one over the next 12 months. And I personally have to go through as big a shift again. What's the shift that you want to go through? There are types of leadership 
that I really want to learn and understand, right? So I think the role of a CEO is to set really clear goals, uphold people to a mission, and hold people really accountable to those goals that they're going after. And I think I'm still learning the balance of when to stay here and when to go really deep. And also the impact of me going very deep on something. Because when a CEO goes very deep on something, it's inherently unempowering, right? Um, um, and I just got to continuously think about myself as like, how do I create this team to do something really good? It's like the ultimate moving from like I to we, which I think I've still got work to do on. I think one of the, the challenges to that idea, because as CEOs, we talk about that type of that desire all the time. And then there's also this, this counter, counterweight to it, which is seeing very clearly what are the problems that need to be solved. And sometimes you may not even fully understand them, but you can tell like, well, there is a problem there that needs to be solved. And it's hard to figure out how to solve it without getting into it. Yeah. And this continuous like conflict, right? You want to be decisive, but you also want to be empowering, mm -hmm. right? You want to be um, supportive, but you've also got to really just think about the best for the business mm -hmm. rather than for the individual. Mm -hmm. And I, I think there's like, there's fine lines on all of those, which I think as you grow, you've got to learn where those lines sit in different situations. Yeah. And I think there's just more and more reps towards that. Doing it right, doing it wrong, yeah. realizing. And being comfortable with that. What are your thoughts about sort of e-commerce right now for, the, for these types of sort of Shopify style businesses that are largely bootstrapped and where the ambition is to keep it that way, yeah. um, who are looking for, relative to them, very big growth, but in terms of sort of relative to, um, you know, venture scale ambitions, just like a different thing entirely. What I often say, I think it's never been easier to start a business, yeah. but it's never been harder to scale a business, right? And a lot of your listeners will know and have seen the massive jumps forward Shopify has itself taken over the past five years, which has enabled that to happen, right. right? So I think that part of the fundamental challenge is that there's so much happening in the online market, right. which is making it very hard to scale a business without some real organic traction and a, a real unique value proposition behind that organic traction. Um, and I think, you know, I said during here, we were like a, almost like a peak online commerce moment. I, 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 I do think that um, we're going to start to see more large venture brands, but also more small brands look beyond online and traditional online channels to being how they reach their consumer. And there's been a little bit too much an assumption that everything should be sold online through commerce. Yeah. And I don't think there's an easy unlock. I, I, but I think like the place that we always start is talking to a hundred of our consumers, understanding what they believe in in our business, where they would want to buy it, what their buying considerations are. And often when you have that difficult step up is because you're going out against an unnatural buying behavior. And it may be that there are other partners and cha channels 
to better reach that consumer, right? So, you know, for us, right, like uh, cookware is a, um, a high consideration product for our first brand equal parts, mm-hmm. right? And um, you get people who just buy cookware because they want a new pan, but you also get people who are trying to read, who are going through life moments, right, with buying new cookware. So a big focus for us is starting to get our cookware in places where people are considering life moments, mm-hmm. right? Like, so a simple version of that would be like a, re- a registry, mm-hmm. right? Because that's a natural place where people are considering life moments, but also trying to do partnerships with um, um, uh, new apartment complexes, right? Um, um, other businesses where people are considering life changes enables us to reach our consumer in the state where they're looking to buy our product. And those insights have only really come by talking to a lot of consumers um, because we won't be able to scale our brands just online and through our own channels. I think that's something that worked 10 years ago or five years ago. I'm not sure it's gonna, it works in some cases now, I'm not sure it's gonna work in the next five years. I think that's super important. The, uh, the I've been, you know, um, sort of walking alongside a number of our partners' businesses where um, they're right at the very beginning stages and you know, they've got a thousand website visits a month. Yeah. Um, and they're doing pop-ups and the pop-ups is where they sell. Yeah. But when they do the pop-ups, they then start seeing some, the, 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 it's not that the site traffic goes through the roof, but that some conversions start happening. Because buying a product on from a brand that's just getting going is, uh, especially if it's a high price point, is, is not, very common. Um, I think what you you know, the thing I would add to what you just said in terms of the organic traction, another form of this is there still is this power of the, it's really of, of the influencer and the, the, and like influencer very broadly speaking, um, in, in that it's, if you don't know someone or feel like you know someone or see someone that seems like someone you want to know with that product, especially if it's a high price point product, I don't know who buys it. It's social proofing. Yeah, social proof, yeah. Right, like, and it could just be like all your friends are tweeting about it Mm -hmm. and then you buy it, right? Or it could be someone you aspire to live like Mm -hmm. is buying it. Um, And influence, I like it, like influence is a difficult word sometimes, but I do think there's about how can you get communities buying into something? Yeah. And when I think about buying a brand, uh, building a brand is like, how do you find the first thousand people who are authentically going to support you around this brand, right? And they're not all going to be friends and family. You know, it's funny. I've never heard, right? That's another thing. I've, it's often the the first customer is a friend (laughs) and and probably the 10th customer is a friend and maybe even the 20th and that's a little bit uncomfortable and then you realize like i don't have that many more friends (laughs) um it's interesting i have not heard someone speak about the idea of the early adopter in the context of e-commerce like in tech there's this idea of there are early adopters out there these people who will use technology products before they have come to maturity and all the bugs have been worked out, but they like it because they want to be the early adopter. And there is that same thing. It's like the maven or something like that in terms of the people who want to buy the products first. 
We think about like just it's just the most simple version of that believers and buyers. Mm. Right? Your first thousand customers may be believers mm-hmm. who just want what you're doing to exist in the world. Mm-hmm. And that's why that why mm-hmm. can become so important. Mm-hmm. And those believers need to be the people you arm with the tools to tell the stories to buyers yeah. about why this is awesome. Yeah. Right? And um, it's why user generated content is so important. Yeah. Right? It's why um, having stuff that those believers can share is really important so you're giving them the tools to then go to the buyers who will be more thinking about the function you know like is this got the exactly the right um coating or feature for me so on the, it's interesting so believers and buyers i totally get that ugc and then giving them things to share yeah what else to do with the believers you guys had an event yeah bringing them together right because then we're trying to build a conversation with those believers right right because um, I think it's it's helping because let's just like grossly simplify I think believers buy and feel mm-hmm. buyers buy and reason mm-hmm. and so an event allows a believer to feel what this brand is and why it's important mm-hmm. to be in the world yeah right and I think that people support with their wallet towards missions they believe in right and um, then there's a a ton of other consumers who are just thinking about like what's the heat distribution of this product look like yeah right and you need to sell them as well but that's not where you start i'm more of a believer in anya who's my wife who nick knows well is a total buyer yeah <laughs> she's just like i i do not want to hear the story i want to read the reviews right. i want to read lots of reviews right and then you need to have like be on gift lists be on having press right product specs about your project other customers writing reviews yeah um and all of those are things that that first whatever it's a thousand a hundred people can can give you as a brand and then also do the social proofing around it mm-hmm. right where like oh these hundred people must brought this it must be good mm-hmm. right and um the thing is you can have all the believers you want, and they can buy it the first thousand people. If your product's no good, then you're never going to get those buyers. Right? Then it's then then it's it's just because they won't really evangelize. Yeah, because then because you need to have buy products people love, right? And or sell products people love. Like if you don't have a good product, then none of this works, right? right? You can have all the mission you want, but it will just all collapse around you. Nick, it's so nice having you on Self Made Stories. Thank you. Thanks, mate. This is fun. <laughs> cool. <laughs> And that's part two with Nick Ling. Hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Again, you can check out the episode on our blog at blog.selfmade.co. It's got extended show notes, linked resources. And then also check out Pattern and Equal Parts online or on Instagram at patternbrands.com or at patternbrands. I've been using one of the knives of their first product. It's awesome. Go check it out. And keep an eye out for their next brand launching in early 2020.